This is the Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss, brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation, your external learning and development partner. Each week, we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who are subject matter experts and are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team and organization. Eddie Turner is a Harvard-trained leadership expert and principal consultant at Linkage. He is transforming leadership globally. Recognised as a top 10 motivational speaker and Forbes' preeminent authority on emerging leaders, Eddie empowers leaders across sectors using the Linkage Purposeful Leadership Framework. He is a member of 100 Coaches, the Institute of Coaching and the International Coaching Federation. Eddie's best-selling book, 140 Simple Messages to Guide Emerging Leaders, and contributions to the light book too, showcase his influence. With a bachelor's from Northwestern University and an executive certificate from Harvard Kennedy School, he is a leader in his field. Eddie Turner, you're very welcome to the Workplace Podcast. William, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure to be here with you. And you've had great news. You've an emerging leader of your own and new arrival and congratulations on that. Thank you. Yes, yes, absolutely. Really excited, my wife and I, uh, to, to welcome him. And congratulations. So, Eddie, we're going to talk about emerging leaders. Really important when we talk about the up and coming generations of leaders. And if you were to describe to our listeners, what is an emerging leader in your opinion? When I describe an emerging leader, I challenge people to expand their lens from what typically that looks like in an, in an organization. My HR friends, they call them hypos, an abbreviation for high potentials. And typically they're only looking at someone who is uh, maybe late 30s, I'm sorry, uh, late 20s, early 30s, when you're talking about an emerging leader. But I just simply look at the dictionary definition and the dictionary definition, when you look at emerge, it means someone who is coming into view or becoming known as. And so if we look at the idea of in your organization, who's coming into view? Who are you starting to see differently as a leader, as a person that people are willing to follow, as a person that's taking the initiative? as a person that's challenging us to think differently, act differently, be different. Who is it that's becoming known as such a person? And very often, if we stop and look around, we don't have to look far. There's someone who, whether they have a, a position of authority in the organization formally or not, and more oftentimes it's the not, they're that person who's getting things done, who's not waiting to be told, who's stepping up, doing what needs to be done, and people are willingly following them, willingly doing what they say. 
And now eventually we promote that person to a formal leadership role. But long before they get it, they were already doing it because they were becoming known as, hey, you need to know this or that. You need to go talk to William. William's the expert. People may even be surprised, but after a while, they're no longer surprised because William has developed that uh, impeccable reputation. So the emerging leader is not just hypos. In my work, uh, I identify eight specific types of emerging leaders. And then after the pandemic, I added a ninth one. Okay. So we have nine types. So our listeners are going to be uh, very interested in that. So we have nine. What are the nine different types? So we'll go one by one, if that's okay. And if it's okay with you, I'll prompt you by going, what's number one, what's number two, three, and and, and so forth. So number one, in your mind, what's the, the first type? Well, I came up with the ninth as a result of doing a little bit of research and uh, also confirming that uh, with people in industry. So the, the first that I look at and I start to introduce is the idea that a student at any level is an emerging leader. They are someone who can become known as, who comes into view. So any student. Then you get to the uh, specific level of student who's fresh out of college. Uh, they were used to being told what to do by the professor or by their parents, the deans, right? The administrations, uh, those authority figures in their lives. Now, all of a sudden, you kind of flip a switch almost. They've graduated. They've got the degree. And now they have to emerge as a leader in a new way. They got to lead themselves, self-leadership. And then now learn how to work as a leader inside of an organization. So that individual fresh out of college becomes that second layer. The third layer is people who are early in their career. So they may not be newly out of college, uh, that freshly minted person with a degree, age 22 years of age, but they're somewhere between 23 and maybe that 28 year uh, period. That those first five years out where they start to define themselves and who they are. Uh, and as you're trying to figure that out, maybe it's that all the time I spent earning this degree, I now realize this isn't really what I want to do. I want to do something different. <laughs> and so they have to emerge as a leader in, in, in a new way from that perspective. Uh, number four would be the individuals who transition from one career into another career. I have friends of mine who are attorneys, and then they realize that I don't want to be an attorney anymore. And so they call themselves recovering attorneys, recovering lawyers. <laughs> and they go into a completely different line of work. Well, when they do that, they have to emerge as a leader in a completely different way. They already have experience. They've proven themselves in one area, but in this new area, they've got to prove themselves all over again. Something I can newly relate to, those who leave the workforce for a little while to raise a family, or they go on maternity leave or paternity leave. You've got a lot of experience, but when you come back into the workforce, you have to prove yourself all over again. You have to emerge as a leader in a new way once you've had that life experience. And so those who come back from raising a family or they've been pursuing missionary work or they've gone on some type of other uh, excursion, uh, they have to emerge as a leader in a new way. Number seven, those who get a promotion. Marshall Goldsmith said, Famously in his uh, New York Times bestseller, international bestseller, what got you here won't get you there. Oftentimes we make the mistake of thinking that what got me the promotion is what I need to continue to do. 
when in fact you may need to add new skills to your repertoire more times than not in fact you need to add new skills to your repertoire and there's adjustments that you have to make especially if you went from being an individual contributor to now a leader of people but the same holds true when you go from leading people to leading uh, managers of people and as you go up and up throughout your career so anytime you get a promotion you must emerge as a leader in a new way and then we have those who have a career in one organization and they continue to uh, stay the same line. They're not changing careers, but they change organizations. Uh, no longer is it the case as it was when my parents were going, uh, you know, going through their careers. You stayed in one company for 20 years or 30 years. You got your gold watch and you retired. Uh, the average adult will change careers at least three times throughout the course of their uh, uh, career. And each time you, uh, I'm sorry, not change careers, change jobs. And every time you change jobs, you go into another company, you have to emerge as a leader in a whole new way. People don't know. They do. They hired you because you had a good reputation. They liked your resume. But they don't know the specifics of what you did every day at the last place. You've got to emerge as a new leader and, and, and improve, prove yourself in this category. Last but not least, I always say that uh, every one of us, is or should be emerging as a leader. So I think we all should have the mentality that we're not complacent. I haven't arrived, that I'm in the perpetual pursuit of getting better and emerging every day better than I was the day before. Especially even if you have the top job, even if you're a CEO, the average CEO's tenure is 18 to 36 months. But the best CEOs, just like the best athletes realize, that my competition is getting better, so I must continue to get better. So I must, even at the top job, continue to emerge as a leader in a new way, continue to prove myself better. And if things should happen to where I have to go take another CEO job someplace else, I am still positioned to do that. After the pandemic, I added a new category because we had all these senior leaders who were excellent, proven leaders. But we came upon this once in a generational crisis that had all leaders scratching their heads. This is something we've never seen before. No matter how much experience I've had, I don't know the answer to this. And so that made me introduce this new area of leading or emerging as a leader in a time of crisis. I think it's great that we are to break this down. When we talk about emerging leader, then it's kind of going, okay, so what is the type of emerging leader that is in front of me or I need to be looking out for or what are the development opportunities? And we're both um, coaches with the International Coaching Federation, so we may as well give them a shout out there, uh, Eddie. Yes, we love the ICF, the International Coaching Federation. So a big shout out to our fellow coaches there. And what I'd like to discuss then is emerging leaders then. There's obviously there's different challenges facing each one. So example, if you're, if you're, Early on in your career, your challenges are going to be managing that transition from college into the workplace and, and really finding your feet in your new career, in this new profession or new organization, a new team. And if you then, Eddie, if you're coaching people who are fresh out of college, what are the, their perspectives? What are their key challenges then when, when they enter into the workforce? Those that are fresh out of college sometimes have a tough time adjusting to the idea of letting go of being told what to do and learning to just do for themselves. 
learning how to uh, be more decisive as a, as a truly free adult. You know, we wanted to be adults and not have anybody tell us what to do all our lives. And all of a sudden, uh, the, the rubber hits the road, if you will. <laughs> so now, what does that look like? How, does, how do you take responsibility in an organization uh, without having to wait for someone to direct you, as you did in college, waiting for the professor to say, here's what needs to be done? Yes, you, you want your manager to tell you what needs to be done to a degree, but how do you just show that you have enough alacrity to not only respond to what they're asking you to do, but you have the ability to just uh, think out of the box and go be a little bit creative and do for your, uh, take the initiative to do what needs to be done. Uh, developing that is one sense. Also resisting the the attitude of entitlement. Uh, in, the, in, the, in a different generation, different time period, it was pretty much understood that to get that nice corner office, uh, you're gonna have to pay some dues. <laughs> it was it was gonna happen over a period of years, if not decades. And so the idea that I should get the corner office in the first six months of my career is sometimes what we have to dispel people of. <laughs> it isn't just automatic. It doesn't just get handed to us. Uh, some, some, there's a lot you have to learn. In fact, the biggest challenge might be said is you don't know what you don't know. And and this is the thing. So when people are are early in the career or fresh out of college, from their perspective, it's what they're exposed to on career fairs or whatever their experiences be or what they think work life is like or what they're exposed to in in popular culture or whatever. And this is where that that sense of or maybe their their parents are ambitious or they may be narcissistic. And this is what's going on is we need to figure out actually what's below the surface, isn't it? That actually, why is a sense of entitlement coming? And then I'm curious about the people here who are so eager to please. They um they really want to take the initiative, Eddie, but they don't know how. You know, how would you help a manager who's trying to coach someone who is is always coming to them. They're so used to be told, just tell me what to do. Whereas when you introduce the coaching aspect to it, Eddie, then what's happening is, is they go, oh, I need to think for myself. Is there, is there a place where we need to change our coaching style to be a bit um, directive at the start and then change the balance on the spectrum to indirective coaching? What's, what's that reflective coaching? Yes, there's a, there's a place for both. And the ideal is we could do it in two different ways. I love the program at Rice University in Houston, Texas. They started a program in 2015 that didn't exist anyplace else in the world. Now, many universities have copied it. And the idea of giving an executive coach to MBA students is not new. That's been done for a long time. People understand the power of that. But what Rice did, thanks to Ann and John Doerr, is, who made a $50 million donation to the school, they provide an executive coach to every single student on campus that wants one. And what that does is it takes these emerging leaders on campus and truly turns them into leaders because learning leadership, learning the things we're talking about doesn't happen in a classroom. It happens one-on-one -on -one with you and your coach. And then they provide other types of uh, ways to develop these leaders that are based on the power of coaching that make those people leave. And they're completely different than what I've described that I see in some of uh, the other clients that I've worked with. So you can start at the university level, giving leaders a coach that equips them better when they come out. And then, as you said, when they're in the workforce, if more leaders understood that they should be a coach first, leader second, when in fact, actually, I should say they're one and the same, 
<laughs> uh, that's the most effective type of leader, one who's a coach first. Uh, telling people being directive has its place, but you'll get more out of an employee and you'll develop them better if you employ a coaching approach. Developing their thinking ability. You've already hired the, the, them because they were smart, but then do you allow them to use their smarts? Or are you going to continue just to tell them step by step? Difference from having a mentor, right? Because I need you to specifically know how to do this job this specific way versus, okay, once you know the basics, now how can I give you the room to uh, the latitude to be a little bit creative and do what you think might be best? For example, uh, when I studied under Ron Heifetz, Dr. Ronald Heifetz at the Harvard Kennedy School, he used the example that he is one of the world's foremost authorities on leadership. But that's his second career. His first career, he was a surgeon. And he comes from a line of great surgeons. But he had a passion outside of all of that. And that was music. And he studied under a great gentleman whose name I cannot pronounce or remember. What he said to all of these great students who were a part of a master class, if you will, he said, learn to play it my way. And then you can improvise your way. In other words, these great students have been gathered together you're under this great leader for a reason. You came to his masterclass for a reason. Learn the fundamentals the way he says. And once you've got that, he doesn't expect you to be him. He does expect you to now start to get creative and produce your own masterpieces. And that's what I'd say in every organization. If these leaders who hire these, because they go to these college campuses, they do these recruiting events, they're not taking people like me who were down at the bottom of the rain. <laughs> They're taking the best of the best, that top 1%. So you've got the, the smartest person in front of you. Are you going to uh, insist that they continue to do things your way? Or will you, after a little bit of training, a little bit of mentoring, then move into a true coach mode and unlock the potential that this employee can have? So I might I might elaborate that on that, that mentoring versus coaching in a minute. By the way, Eddie, I love your laugh. What an infectious laugh. <laughs> there are people all over the world now chuckling to themselves, kind of going, William Corliss, thank you for stating that. And uh, and by the way, to our listeners, we have Marty Linsky, who was Ron Heifetz's uh, writing partner. Um, I, I studied under both of them as well in, in, oh, in Harvard. And he's also, he's also on the podcast. So if, if listeners want to check that out. Yeah, Marty Linsky is amazing. Yeah, great guy, great guy. And I'm going to go back to that 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 piece then of mentoring versus coaching. So there's people here that may not be familiar with the two or maybe get them both mixed up. So if you were to say what mentoring is for our listeners and then what coaching is, what's the, what's the big difference? Those are two different modalities for developing a leader and or helping a person throughout their career journey. A mentor has experience doing a specific role in an organization and when they mentor you, they will often say, here's what worked for me. This may work for you. I did it this way. You should do it this way. <laughs> and so it's it's a pass, it's a knowledge transfer on the job training, if you will, under someone with experience. A coach, and people use this phrase a lot of times when they really just mean mentoring, but a coach, a true coach, using the coaching that we promote in the world of ICF will say to you or actually ask you questions to pull from you what might be the best way of doing that particular job. Uh, you, th they might even point to the ways the job has been done and then ask you, what would you do? 
what do you think we should do? And then allow you to use your own intellect, even though you don't have the experience yet, to talk about what you may do. Oftentimes, these young people have served as a uh, as an intern at an organization. So while they don't have a co corporate career yet, they have some corporate experience. Uh, no doubt they've studied some case studies. They may have, uh, and I used to do this at my university, uh, invite someone to shadow me for a week. So I would have them fly into my, uh, to my company uh, here in Houston, and they spend time with me. So outside of an internship, they call those externships. So they might have some idea that they can offer you, but you don't know that if you just tell them everything. And that's what coaching is really about. It's about creating the space for people to reflect. It's empowering people to say, actually, we believe you have the answers yourselves. And again, it is finding the balance between directive. Here's what you know and what you don't know. This is what you need to do to be uh, to get started on the job. And then it's finding that balance to tip over to say, OK, now that you've done the job for a little while, what do you think I would say? What do you think I would think? What what does success look like? Isn't that right? It's those, it's those open-ended questions. Absolutely. Some people now will be listening to go, I've just done coach training. I am a manager. And my, my, my graduate comes in or my early careers person come in and they don't know what to say. They're completely silent at the start of a coaching session. What advice would you give managers there? In a workplace scenario, it is going to be different when you're coaching as the manager versus someone who they've gone to as a coach that they have uh, been waiting for that coaching session when they're ready to unfold. So if a manager has someone who's not necessarily uh, talkative and willing to necessarily open up, I might ask what, what makes them feel that way. I might actually, if I found that it was the case, do something before that meeting actually starts. I might make sure that I get to know them better. Have I invited them for coffee? Maybe I don't hold the meeting in my office. Maybe we're meeting at the at the coffee shop or uh, at, at tea, as you would say there, perhaps across the pond. <laughs> uh, let's let's go for tea. You know, let's let's have a dessert. Or you know, I might try other places to meet other options. Um, and now, once I know that person as a know that employee as a person that person might be more willing to open up. Uh, maybe they've heard about my reputation. Maybe they've, they've heard I'm, I'm the ogre at the company. I don't know. <laughs> so what do I have to do to uh, make sure I've opened it up? Am I the challenge? Am I the problem? And they're afraid of me? Or it's just a matter that I haven't built the rapport with my employee. And so I would examine those reasons before I start to conclude that there's something that's wrong with them. And, and that's how I like to start coaching is do it in a place that doesn't look like it's the place where I get performance management feedback or or something like that. And I think it's really important then is to explain to people what coaching is. I often use the analogies like it comes from stagecoach to get from one place to another. Where do you want to get? And then I explain about the how it's about empowerment or it's that agency that personal agency how they get the answer themselves because at the end of the day they're the expert on themselves and they'd be expert on the job to get it done and this brings me to mind to to contracting then it's really important to have a, a really firm contract 
with young people then so if there's any issues or concerns or boundaries or lack of clarity then in that contracting where you're designing the perfect working relationship this is where that can happen is that right eddie yes and and the ideal of the contract that you're referring to uh, i believe is the icf uh, world of contracting is that correct yeah so it's it's not a written paper contract it's it's really designing the perfect working relationship that working agreement to say what's the best way to work with you and actually yeah and if i'm asking you questions or how this will operate is is i'm going to create a space for you to reflect and you to you to use your own initiative within this space so you are you're more empowered to do the work on your own is, do you do something similar or what would you do yes Indeed. Uh, and so I just wanted to make sure I was answering what you were asking. Uh, the ideal of the contract as in writing, when most people hear that phrase, they think about something that we put in writing. In a formal coaching agreement, that's something that we would do at the beginning of every engagement. And the terms of a workplace, well, the contract is the employment agreement. <laughs> so when a manager goes to meet his employee, they're not uh, you know, pulling out a contract and say, hey, you need to sign this. Uh, but rather the type of contract or agreement we seek and a coaching engagement in the ICF uh, coaching parlance. And that is, what are the firm outlines for this specific session? We're not talking about all times you're going to meet, but in this session, let's lock down an agreement or contract, if you will, as to what's the most important thing you want to talk about. What's on your mind? What does success look like? At the end of our time together, what would cause you to say this was a good use of your time? Right. Those are just some types of questions I might ask when I'm uh, trying to get an agreement on how we're going to use it. And something else is very interesting that we do as an ICF coach. We don't wait until the end to confirm we met the agreement that we lived up to the contract. Halfway through, we always do a check in. Hey, at the beginning of our conversation, you said that you wanted to talk about A, and it was important to you because of this reason. I just want to check in. Are we still on track? Are we on the right path? And we give that person a chance to confirm. We'll say, no, we're this. We're nowhere near what I want to talk about. So we can fix it before that time is ended. Or that person will say, yeah, this is exactly what I want to cover. But now that we're talking about this, this other challenge has popped up that I'm thinking about. Can we talk about this instead? And that's the beauty of having that. You have some guardrails for the conversation so that that time period doesn't elapse and you haven't accomplished anything. And it's great that we have those outcome-focused conversations. So I want to I want to flip around here a little bit. And if there was an emerging leader coming in and I wanted to get the best out of my own potential or the best out of coaching sessions with my manager, what what are the expectations I should be setting for myself as an emerging leader? As an emerging leader, you want to take control of your own career. You don't want to wait for someone else to do that for you. Now, in an organization, you're going to have your manager that you, that you report to, who's uh, primarily hopefully going to be doing that for you, but a great number do not, because in fact, they don't know in some cases. So find out who in your organization can you use to be your mentor outside of your direct chain of management. Who else can work with you as a mentor? or even a sponsor, which is even better, in an organization. Uh, at your university, stay close to your professors. They can be an invaluable resource to you throughout your career. 
What about other people in your adults in your life, uh, be it your uh, religion, be it your community uh, leaders? Uh, certainly, uh, family is always helpful, but you want that neutral third-party lens. So I never take parents out of the equation. Always consult parents, aunties, uncles, whoever you have in your family. They're great. But you also want to have those neutral people that are not related to you who can tell you the truth about yourself and can tell you the truth about the industry. I'll give me one example why I, I say don't underestimate the power of your professors. You know, I, I didn't get my degree at 22. I went into IT and I worked for years without a degree. Finally, went back to school and I got a degree as an older man. And I had been out of school. I finished my degree in 2010. And I had only been out of school about three years. So I still was close to my professors. And I'm still close to them to this day, quite frankly. But a, a unique opportunity presented itself. And the people that helped me make the decision about which job I was going to take, and it ended up being a pivotal decision. It was my professors from Northwestern University. You know, I called a, a Dr. Tepper, you know, Sam Tepper. I called Robin Erickson. I said, listen, I am at a dilemma. I'm not sure what I should do. And they helped me make the decision that changed my life. I made the decision to take the job I took in Houston, Texas, and everything changed for me once I got to Houston, Texas. And uh, so to this day, I'm very grateful to them because I needed people who were operating in the professional workspace, not in my industry. I needed an, an unvarnished opinion. And so that is uh, something I, I tell young people, never discount those relationships. I have a similar one. Um, and, and this man actually, uh, he called me a month before he passed uh, away. Uh, Colin Feeney was his name. And uh, he had a great, a great time for him. He had a great time for me. But for over 25 years, that man was a mentor for me and a sponsor. And he was able to tell me maybe something that other people weren't willing to do, that the real harsh reality of the, the choices I was taking or the career path I was taking, or he'd ask me real hard questions to really, or powerful questions that we would talk about in, in coaching that really made you sit back and think to go, I never thought of that, or here's the standard or here's the expectation. And it, even though we only met every couple of years for coffee, he always seemed to ask me incisive questions. When I walked away, I was going, I have work to do here. And I always set goals then after that. He always got the best out of me. Uh, and what I what I really liked about Cullum, not only was he knowledgeable in a huge network, and he's a very generous uh, man, what he did was he always thought ahead. He was going, where do you plan to be in a few years' time? What type of life do you want to live? You know, and, and really generous with his advice. But he was good at networking then, so he knew uh, people he could talk to, say, let me check that information out. I don't have the answer right now. A wonderful, wonderful gift uh, and legacy that he's left behind. And that brings me to mind then of, of and this is what Cullum used to do is, it was like that social discipline window where it was high support and high accountability. So, so next time I meet you, what am I holding you accountable for? And, and that brings to mind then that there are certain people that might be fresh out of college or a high potential or just got a promotion that might be struggling. And if they make a commitment to you or a manager in a coaching session, what's the best way to approach that if people don't follow through with a commitment? In the coaching session, if they've made a commitment, 
it's usually a good idea to ask them how they would like to be held accountable. And so therefore, when it doesn't happen, what you are now doing is based on what they've already agreed to let you do. That's very different than you just arbitrarily doing something. And so this allows you to treat each young person, each employee as an individual and not a one size approach fits all. Now, of course, if an individual is consistently not doing so, and then you've got to get a little bit more coercive in your approach. But I, I default to a, a democratic uh, approach where you're allowing that person to weigh in and cast their vote, if you will, uh, about how they best operate and they allow them to have a say-so in the shared outcome. And I would do that in every coaching session that I have is that I would bake that into the contract at the very start to say, if you were to, if we were to make a commitment to me and you didn't follow through, how might we handle it? And then they're given your permission to say, you know, um, this is the best way to approach that. And I have many stories uh, about that. Now, that's different for a employee contract situation like we're talking about versus a coaching session. In a coaching session, before I even take the client on in the chemistry meeting, we were trying to figure out, you know, are we a good fit for each other? That's a question I ask right away and during that period. Uh, so we get really clear on that before even signing paperwork and begin an engagement. <laughs> I think the connection that you have with, and let's say it's an employee. So, so for example, I do a, a lot of graduate development programs. And I remember because I had such a firm relationship with some of the graduates, then, you know, they had leaving intentions um, from the company that they're in. And this has happened several times. And it's really when you have that, that chemistry, as you say, and that that sense of trust and relationship, what will start to emerge then is is it's actually stuff that's outside of work that's impacting work. So again, usually what it is 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 if people are struggling, it's getting to that sense of curiosity. That's what the beauty about coaching is. It's actually what's gone underneath is somebody's parent is sick, or for example, I have um some sort of neurodiversity or something like that, that 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 emerges then uh, as a result of the conversation and the relationship if i might add and again when we talk about i suppose the generation then that uh millennials and gen z who come out of the the pandemic then some people haven't the experience or of work face to face some people still haven't met their team face to face so what advice would you give to managers then if they are coaching an emergent leader that we, we don't know in that social context because we haven't been exposed? What advice would you give them? Well, similar to what I said earlier in that I would try to get to know them in whatever level I can. If we still can't meet face-to-face -face yet, I would look for other opportunities to do something with that person virtually simultaneously. And that can go a long way. And there was a great article written about this, I believe, somewhere in the Wall Street Journal uh, about a week or so ago. Uh, the idea of that, it made me think about this because I hadn't really given thought of it. I thought maybe the whole world was kind of back to normal in some senses, but it highlighted the fact that you have a, a number of engineers, for example, who left school. So different from some of the other roles, you actually need to touch what you're working on. It's not something you can do over a Zoom session. It's uh, so, so they not had that experience being with someone face-to-face, -face, tactical. So it's a tremendous gap in their development because they haven't had that. 
you know, so it's, it's, this is a, another opportunity, as I mentioned, when we're talking about that number nine category that I made for emerging leaders, you know, senior leaders who are now having to lead in a way they've never had to lead before. They have to develop new capacity to their leadership. They've got to think through, how do I do this? How do I meet this demand? Oh, I do great face-to-face when I can stand over the employee in the office, when I can look at them and talk to them, touch them, but leading virtually, how do I do that? For those that need this developmental experience where they have to touch something, how can I make that happen for them? Or what alternatives could I put in place if we cannot meet that? And I'm going to go back to another um, aspect there that you you talked about uh, leadership and, and, and new leaders emerging and newly promoted leaders and the different types of emerging leaders who are now coaching these emerging leaders. And this is the thing then, isn't it? Is when I'm a manager then, I have to lead by example. I have to really focus on the individual. And when we talk about that leadership capability framework of the 70-20-10, I think a lot of times emerging leaders are disappointed that they're not getting the development that they believe they have, and probably rightly so. So there is a case for not only leading by example, but it's to be disciplined and carving out the time to say, I'm developing myself and also and developing my own team, especially those emerging leaders. Is there some pitfalls that managers fall into when they're developing leaders? Because I have a couple of thoughts myself uh, on this. For yourself, Eddie, is is there some pitfalls or traps that managers have when they're, I suppose, they make mistakes when they're coaching emerging leaders or managing emerging leaders? The idea that one size fits all, you know, yeah. and the idea that, you know, uh, this is one framework I learned for being a manager, being a leader. So I'm going to apply this to myself. I'm never going to go and update it. And that's uh, why I, I challenge every leader to open, expand their lens, what it means to be emerging. There's some senior leaders, they get, they brussel at the idea when I say emerging leader, I'm a senior leader, I'm an experienced leader. Yes, but you should still be emerging. And so here's a good example of that. You remember we said earlier, the Marshall Goldsmith thought, thought of what got you here won't get you there. So just as you might need to recalibrate your leadership style, what are you going to use to recalibrate it with? Well, part of that is examining what's the latest thinking in leadership development. You know, I, I, I first ex- got exposure to leadership development during my time at GE. I learned the GE way of leading. And at one time to be a GE leader, that was a gold standard. But then things changed. Well, if you're still leading the way we led under Jack Welch days, you're in trouble in 2023. <laughs> so have you updated your way of leading? You know, for me, that, that journey went to Northwestern University where I first got formal training in leadership outside of the corporate space. Then that led me to Harvard, the Kennedy School, where I met Dr. Heifetz and many, many others who I studied under, and, but he gave me a framework. I use the Heifetz framework a lot in my in my leadership journey. I now work for a company uh, named Linkage that was bought by SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. So SHRM owns our company, but the, the work I do there is centered around a, a framework that I absolutely love. Uh, it's the purposeful leadership framework. And that purposeful leadership framework is an amazing framework, very simple, that allows leaders to lead effectively in the 21st century. Now, I'm not going to hold on to just one framework 
forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> no, I will constantly challenge myself as I do with anyone I work with to find what's the next best great framework that I should be using and implementing in my own life and for those who are my clients. And that's what I'd say to the leaders in, in, in harmony of what you've asked me. I might boldly say this is what the podcast is all about. There are several episodes on leadership, the different types of leadership frameworks, as you mentioned there. And I also might mention for our leaders, and this might be our listeners, should I say, I met Jack Welch once in his house. Oh, that's amazing. In Nantucket. That is true. It's a long story. As for another day, but I'll put the listeners out there if they want to find out more, let me know. And I, and I think I think what it again from what makes successful managers then is 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 walking the culture talk. It's it's living the values, but actually uses part of your everyday everyday language. And when you're giving feedback, that you're using the values as part of that. Uh, I don't want to name check any company here, but you'll all know who your 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 values are. And again, episode number one is is all about humanity. We have to know that these emerging leaders have had a very different upbringing, education, experience uh, to to us, especially if we're for older. Um, and and again, there's the aspect of that where it's about always creating that supportive and nurturing environment, isn't it? It's it's always a how do you want people to to feel as they walk into the room or that space where it's it's coaching? Can I ask then is is if you were to give some tips to me, so if I am an emerging leader now listening in and you were to give me advice if I was to embark on a journey of leadership or personal development, what advice would you give me? Don't get complacent. I'd start there. Don't get complacent. When we get complacent and we feel we've made it, when we feel like we don't need to do anything else, then we stop doing what we need to, to grow and develop. And it's like any muscle in our body. Uh, as mine clearly shows, I haven't seen a gym in a long time. <laughs> and if you stop going to the gym, uh, your muscles will atrophy. They will weaken. They don't stay the same. And so that's what happens as leaders. We must constantly stay fit, get in the gym. And so the per complacent person says, I don't need to do that. But the person that has the growth mindset, as Carolyn works, uh, says so beautifully in her work, you have to uh, continue to grow, continue to develop as a leader. And that means uh, a number of things to each person. Each person has to figure out what that looks like. So just like uh, when you go to the gym, I can tell you're still fit. Uh, when you go to the gym, that may mean that you do a lot of cardio. For another person, that might mean that they do a lot of uh, work on the strength conditioning with the, with the weights and such. It means something different for everyone. But what does that mean? And so for some, it might mean that the famous quote that we saw in the Harvard Business Review some years ago, uh, I believe they were quoting uh, President Dwight Eisenhower, who said, all leaders may not be readers, but all readers will be leaders. Or it may be reverse on that. <laughs> so the idea is you must keep reading. You, you cannot stop reading. You've got to keep abreast of current trends. You need to know some things about history. You also need to uh, have uh, understand technology, which is quickly changing the way everything works, including coaching. And so you must be a reader, first and foremost. Next, others decide, I'm not going to stop formal education. 
I may not go back and get another degree, but I'm going to always go for some type of an executive education program. I'm going to go to some type of a conference where I can attend workshops. I'm going to uh, hire a coach so that the university comes to me, if you will. <laughs> and I'm developing in private, uh, in my own comfort, where I can be completely vulnerable. But those, those are just three things I would say, but under the umbrella of don't get complacent. Eddie, thank you for sharing your wisdom. And also your laugh is so infectious. Uh, really enjoy that too. Uh, what I really enjoyed was that holistic uh, approach and where we were able to see everybody's take on the emerging leader where I'm an emerging leader listening in or if I am someone coaching an emerging leader. So thank you very much for your time today. And Eddie, if people were to find out more about you, how might they do so? Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for asking. Um, I'm Eddie Turner. E-D-D-I-E is how I spell it. Turner, T-U-R-N-E-R. Eddie Turner, you can find me on any of the social, I shouldn't say any, the, the main social media websites, be it LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, which I guess is X these days, Instagram. If you type my name in, uh, my profile should come up. I welcome the opportunity to connect with you uh, listeners and uh, get a chance to answer any questions that you might have. You'll also find me on the SHRM website, shrm.com or linkageinc.com. I'm happy to uh, connect with you there as well. Uh, anywhere you find me, let's connect. Uh, let's stay connected and certainly continue to tune in to William and his amazing podcast. Eddie, thank you so much for that and joining the Workplace Podcast today. Thank you for having me on the Workplace Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss. Our special thanks to this episode's guest for sharing their expertise with us. If you found this episode valuable, please rate and review it. For updates on future episodes and to get in contact with us about any workplace topics, please follow Yellowwood on LinkedIn and Twitter at Different Paths. As always, you can head over to yellowwood.ie for any other information. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner provider of executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organization.